Happy Oktoberfest. Just want to give a shout out to LL Cool J over here. It's a big deal. He came all the way here to Virginia just for us. So good, right? Some famous people here in the room with you tonight. If you don't know me, I'm Jeff. I'm the maintenance man here at the City Life Church. I don't know whether it's a costume or if it's just me trying to embrace my new reality here as the lead pastor of City Life. I, this, the, my costume was inspired in two ways. It was the, uh, uh, the painting crew that's been doing a lot of the work. It's, well, it's looking amazing, right? The paint, the carpet, so good, the parking lot. We're actually going to give a detailed update next weekend in our service. I'm going to give you a detailed update of all the work that we've done, uh, where we are with our budget, and then the things that we still want to do, and then how we're going to pay for that together, right? Okay. All right. You didn't clap for that part. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. All right. So... So the, what the, the paint crew was here, and, and they were looking for me. They had some questions, but they did not know who I was, and they didn't know my name. And so they found Vanessa in the hallway, and they said, we're looking for the maintenance man here at the church. And she's like, we don't have a maintenance man. And she said, no. they said, oh, no, you do. And, and they said, he's, the, he's really tall. He has a beard. He's strikingly good-looking. No, they didn't say that, but they thought it, right? So, so he's, he's tall, he has a beard. He, he's always in the church with tools, fixing stuff. And Vanessa said, oh, no, he's at the maintenance man. He's the pastor here. And they were like, get out of here. And so, and so, so this, is, this is our new reality, but we're thankful for this reality because it's an opportunity to make this building beautiful for the kingdom, for the people that we're going to reach. We have such a dream and a vision that this is going to be a place where God and people meet. It's the vision that people had in the 50s and the 60s when NRBC was planted, and then in May when they gifted this to us. It was such a privilege for us to carry the vision of this property into its future. So whether we're in here ministering to people in prayer, are you with me? Oh, whether or not we're mopping up a spill, it's still service unto the Lord that we should celebrate and be thankful that we have an opportunity to do. So you might be thinking, though, well, how did you come up with the name that's Jeff? So my name is Joseph Frederick. I don't hear that anymore because I don't get in trouble like I used to when I was little and at home. So I was named after two grandfathers and two uncles. So my father's father and brother are Joseph, and my mother's father and mother's brother is, are Frederick. So I grew up, they, I'm a middle namer, don't ever do that to your children, it just creates confusion for the rest of their life, so pick a name that's first and just go with that. So, so, but, but ever since I've been in high school, if people have not been able to remember my name, they call me Jeff. I kid you not. There, I don't, there's not a moment in my life that I can think of where someone couldn't remember my name and they called me something other than Jeff. So I was named by my parents, Joseph Frederick, but the universe has named me Jeff. <laughs> when I was in high school, my senior year, I worked at DuPont. I grew up in Richmond, the textile factory. I worked there the entire summer, the whole entire summer. We, we worked shift work, but I worked with the same crew. We all moved our shifts together. Oftentimes, seven days a week, the whole summer. And at the end of the summer, they surprised me at lunch with a cake as I was going away to college. And you know what the cake said? Good luck, Jeff. Yeah, on the cake. And I said, that's okay. Don't feel bad. It's the universe working against my name. Just, I kid, just the other day, one of the young ladies that's a new employee 
of our preschool came up to me and said, I want to apologize for calling you Jeff the other day. I said, it's okay. <laughs> you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't escape it. So if you've ever called me Jeff, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. It might be the name that you choose to call me by. As a pastor, I've been called worse. But this is my question. Why am I telling you these stories? Because when we get home tonight and we take off these costumes, the question is, are we still wearing a mask? When I take this shirt and put it in the closet, the question is, am I still wearing a costume? And could it be that some of us have been wearing the mask that's underneath the costume we have on tonight, that we've been wearing it for so long that we've really forgotten who we truly are anymore. Father, I pray that tonight in the midst of all of our laughter, in the midst of all of our fun, that we could have a serious conversation with you in these next few moments. That there is an identity that we're supposed to have in you that should transcend all else and should displace any mask that we have taken on. Father, I pray that tonight is going to give people courage to step out and be who you created them to be. I pray that tonight is going to give people courage to lay down some masks that they've taken on. I pray that tonight is going to give people a sense of hope and faith and belief that there is a true identity that's underneath all of those layers that's waiting to come out. And we say to that identity, come forth, come on, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. As I was thinking about reasons why we have a tendency as human beings to pretend to be someone that we're not or take on masks that God did not intend, I thought about sometimes we do it for acceptance, especially in our years of adolescence due to peer pressure. Sometimes we do it because of rejection. We do it because of past hurts. Sometimes we do it because of shame. Oftentimes we do it because of personal gain and selfish ambition. But let me share these verses with you tonight. It's out of Psalm 139, verses 14 through 18. It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. This is David writing a psalm to God. Your workmanship is marvelous. Right? He's talking about himself. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was being woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. God thinks about you so much that literally the universe is incapable of putting a number to it. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. You don't want to be anybody other than the person that God created you to be, because if you are, you're settling for something less. 
God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's perfect, and then when you think about who he is, and then you connect that with the reality and the belief that God created you, he made something marvelous. This is what David is talking about. David is saying, why, why should I want to be anything other than the person that God created me to be? Because I'm his creation. And for each one of our lives, he steps back. He thinks about us so much you can't even number it. And it says that as he thinks of us, he looks at his work and he says over you the same thing he said at the end of every day of creation, it is good. Are you going to be a mask wearer or an image bearer? Are you going to be a mask wearer or an image bearer? I want to live my life. I want to be a pastor who encourages and inspires people to live their lives, wanting to bear the image of the identity that God created me to have. I don't want to cover it up with a mask. What's a mask? A mask is any sense of self that we embrace that obstructs who God created us to be. A mask is any sense of self that we embrace, that obstructs who God created us to be. Vanessa was born into a family of fans of New York Giants, but she was born to be a Redskins fan. Come on. See, I took that mask right off of her when we got married. Thought about her. She was doing that worship wrap-up, standing in a place of faith and trust. It's like, you're doing it right there as a Redskins fan. I know. Oh. Matthew 4, 1 through 4, Jesus had to make a decision at the beginning of his ministry when he was 30 years old as to whether or not he was going to be a mask wearer or an image bearer. Matthew 4, 1 through 4, this is, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So he hasn't eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now a deeper study, if we were to continue to read on in Matthew 4, and you also find it in Luke chapter 4, there are two other temptations that the devil brings, and as you do a deeper study, you begin to realize that these temptations are directly connected what John writes to us in 1 John 2.16, where he talks about the three greatest struggles that we have with our human nature is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And each one of these temptations corresponds to one of these human desires. See, I think what the devil is trying to do here, he's not just trying to trick Jesus into doing something wrong. He, he knows that he'll never win that game. What he's trying to get Jesus to do is to put on a mask. He's trying to get Jesus to over-identify with his human experience. Now, he knows that Jesus is fully divine because he was in heaven with him in the great rebellion before creation. But now he knows that he has laid aside his glory. He's not laid aside his divinity. He's laid aside his glory and taken on human nature. 
And the devil's trying to get him to identify more with the nature of his humanity than the reality of his divinity. And this is exactly what the devil does to you and I. He tempts us through desires that come through the human experience. Human experiences that God has given to us for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. But they're never supposed to be what gives us our sense of who we are. The devil isn't just trying to get him to put on a mask. The devil is trying to establish himself in the life of Christ as a familiar voice of influence. See, the devil is a mask maker, but God is an identity creator. And whoever becomes the dominant, most familiar voice of influence in your life is going to determine your pursuit of understanding who you are. Are you just going to continue to put on one mask after another, or are you going to understand the identity that was created from you from the beginning of time and begin to walk in the person that God ordained you to be? We know that he's trying to establish himself as a familiar voice of influence through Jesus' response to him in the first temptation. When he says that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, each one of these quotations is from an Old Testament text. But I think Jesus picked this one because he wants the devil to know that he's onto his game. He's saying to him, I want my life to be determined by the voice of my Father. I want the words of God and the voice of God and His influence to be the most familiar voice in my life. I don't want your masks. I want His identity. We cannot truly know ourselves unless we first know God. If you're in here tonight and you're struggling in this place of wrestling with with not knowing who you are, what I would say to you is you've got to put on hold the question of who am I and pick up the question of who is God to me. Because once you begin to figure out who God is and who he is to you, then revelation begins to come who you are yourself. For those of you who have begun that journey, for those of you who have a sense of God being your Father and Christ being your Savior, and even for those who haven't begun that journey but are going to have to circle back to this one, I want to give you three what I'm calling identity principles tonight. And the first one is this. Your true identity begins with God's sovereignty. Your true identity begins with God's sovereignty. In this world, you have to decide that you're going to resist being jealous of who other people are. Last night, we had the opportunity to, to be in attendance at Freedom Life Church. I've got my Sound of Freedom bracelet on tonight, and Chris House, and all the people that were there. This was supposed to be a short message. There's no way it's going to be short tonight. You can blame Chris for that for uh, them creating such a spiritually rich environment last night as God was rewriting my sermon in my heart for two and a half hours. So if the pie gets cold, you can find Chris and, you know, give him a nudge. You can get into settings like that, and if you're not careful, other people that are so gifted and so talented, and you can begin to let creep in your heart a sense of jealousy over who they are. 
But can I just tell you that when you do that, how do you think that makes God feel? Because you know what? In Psalm 139, it doesn't say he made some more marvelous than others. It says that we're all marvelous in his sight. So if we're in a place where we feel less than who other people are, then what we're saying to God is, is you didn't make me as good as them. And he's saying, oh, no, no, no. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Don't waste another minute of your life being jealous of the apparent giftedness of people that are around you. Discover the giftedness of who you are and unleash that identity on the world. It's a great book by Eric Reese. I talk about it all the time. It's entitled Shape. It talks about your spiritual gift, your heart's desire, your natural ability, your personality, and your life experience. All of these are things that by God's sovereignty, before you were born, he put these things inside of you. The personality that you have that's unique and different from any other person. If you're a naturally introverted person, don't look at people who are extroverted and say, I wish I were like them. If the whole world were like that, we'd all be worn out. It's easy for us to look at others and think maybe that somehow we got overlooked, that somehow they were given more abilities than what we were given or somehow that they were given the ones that we wanted or the desires in our heart, we can't seem to find them or the life experiences that we share seem to be more difficult, a more difficult road than others have to walk down. Spiritual gifts that seem to be given in greater portion to others than ourselves. God is perfect. And he made you with great intention. And he left nothing out. All of who you are. Everything that he made you to be. He put just as much time and attention in your personality as he did every other human being that's ever lived who is ever going to live. Your natural abilities, your heart's desires that he's hidden in there. Some that you haven't even discovered yet. The life experiences that are waiting for you along the way. The spiritual gifts that come to you when you make a vow of devotion to Christ. All of this is by God's design. And as you begin to discover them and you begin to celebrate them, you begin to realize who God created you to be. Your true identity begins with God's sovereignty. Number two, your true identity will never be in conflict with God's morality. Your true identity will never be in conflict with God's morality. Teenagers, if you ever find yourself in a situation or circumstance where in order to express who you think you are requires you to be dishonest with your parents, you've already started down a wrong road. If you ever find yourself in a conversation with a group of friends who are trying to introduce you to experiences or get you to, to tell your parents you're going to one place when you're really going to someone else, what I'm saying to you is that your identity is never gonna cause you to step outside the boundaries of God's rules. 
And one of God's rules is truthfulness and honesty. One of God's rules is to honor your parents. If, if who you think you need to be requires you to lie to Pastor David and Hannah, listen to me, you've already started down a wrong road. And you're picking up a mask and you're putting down your true identity. Oh, I have something for you too, people. <laughs> if you're married and you're thinking to yourself, maybe I was supposed to be single. If you're married and you're frustrated and you're disappointed in and by the person that you said, I do too, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe I'm better off without them, or maybe they're better off without me, I would say to you what I said to these teens, your identity is never going to be in conflict with God's morality. If you've got to negotiate and compromise something that God says that you should not do, that's one of the first indications that you're picking up a mask and you're putting down your identity. The world has all kinds of justifications and reasons and explanations why this and that is okay, but if in their justification it's in conflict with the boundaries that are in this book, it should be the first clue to you that that's not who God created you to be. Let me just speak on two more things briefly. We could, we could do a whole series just on this one point. Sexual orientation and gender identification, if you're trying to figure that out for yourself, what I would say to you is your identity is never going to be in conflict with God's morality. And the church has got to find its way back to talking about sensitive issues that God says are wrong without being mean. Right? Can we, can we just agree that Jesus was the most non-negotiating person when it came to issues of morality when he walked on this earth? The most non-compromising person ever. Never negotiated morality not one time. But you know what he also was? He was kind. And he was loving he was gracious, and he was merciful. Even in his stands that he would take against things that are immoral. If you download these notes, they're always available to you through the podcast. I put a link in the notes to a five-part blog series that I wrote three years ago that goes into great detail about what the church's response should be to issues like sexual orientation and gender identification. It's called LGBTQI. You'll find that. It's on the website letspraxis.com. It's a website dedicated to our model for discipleship. The church is supposed to be a place where people can come in and wrestle with identity and feel safe there. The church is supposed to be a place where people can come in and maybe they don't even know yet they should be wrestling with this identity and be inspired 
to begin to ask themselves some questions and feel safe. To not be demeaned, to not be neglected, to not be ostracized, but to be embraced and loved and celebrated and cherished in a place where people are going to be patient with them along the way. And that's who we are here at the City Life Church. Number three, your true identity connects you to God's history. Your true identity begins with God's sovereignty. Your true identity will never be in conflict with God's morality. And your true identity connects you to God's history. I was watching the movie Lincoln the other day. Powerful movie. Powerful movie. And I'm watching it towards the end. And uh, there's the, the, the scene after he's been shot at Ford's Theater and they brought him back to a home and he's lying in a bed and there's a room full of people and the doctor who's examining him stands up. And I've seen this movie a few times and I was like, that is Rob Shepard's father. You know Pastor Rob Shepard at Next Level Church? Amazing church. They meet on Sunday, but they're still a great church. And his dad's an actor. So I texted Rob. It's like, Rob, is that your dad in Lincoln? He's like, yeah. And I was like, oh. was Steven Spielberg in the room directing him in that scene? He's like, yeah. So did he get to talk to Steven Spielberg? Yeah. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, storyteller of modern history, Steven Spielberg. When you look at the list, I watched a, a movie, a documentary on his life not too, long, not too long ago. When you look at the body of his work, it's incredible. We love movies. We love binge watching on Netflix. There's a reason for that. There's something inside of us that's drawn to a great story. Especially when that story is told by a gifted storyteller. And I think one of the reasons why we're drawn to people like Steven Spielberg and we're drawn to incredible epic stories, so pulled into when Netflix drops the next series for whatever show we're watching, is because deep down inside, you and I know that we've been created to be a part of a story. We were created by God to be a part of a history and a history that he's writing. There's something inside of it, of us, that connects us to this idea. And we see it played out in this text. I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time, and I'm probably because I can also only pronounce less than half of the names. But in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, we're given a list that is a part of Jesus' family tree. And it's interesting, when you begin to really look at this list, it's broken down into very specific segments. It doesn't say that that's what they are, but when you read it through the filter of the Old Testament, you begin to find that there are three distinct lists. There is from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations, and from the Babylonian exile to Jesus, 14 generations.
they are divided up into these groups because they are both significant people and significant events. And as you do even a little bit deeper of a dive, you realize in order to get to kind of the the, the poetic balance of these three couplets of seven, that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to eliminate some names. Yeah. Now you might say, well, that's not fair. And what I would say to you, it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something. You see, as you do a deeper dive even still, what you find is that the people who were excluded were people who did some pretty unique things in Scripture. And when I say unique, I mean that they were people who had every opportunity to choose to walk in their God-given identity, but they snubbed their nose at God's morality and they snubbed his nose at his sovereignty. And they chose to live a life of masks instead of the identity that God had for them. And these people are written out of the story of the lineage of the life of Christ, which tells us you can either be in the family tree or you can be in the history. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to not just be a name in a family tree. I want my life to be a part of the history that God is writing. And the people who got included were not perfect people. In fact, some of them did terrible things. But those terrible things did not define who they were. Those terrible things didn't characterize who they were. In fact, those terrible things helped them realize that they were wearing masks, that it was time for them to take off, and they did. And they were people that reestablished their sense of commitment to the sovereignty of God and the morality of God. And here we find them in the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament written and recorded as both people and participants in the history of the life of Christ. Can I just tell you tonight that you're supposed to be a part of the history that God is writing? Your name might not ever be known in a book like this. Your your name might not ever be one that's remembered generations after you pass. But Psalm 139 says that that there is a book in heaven that has your name on it. And if we're not going to be known here, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be known there. And I don't know about you, but I want to be known as a person that lived my life embracing the identity that God had for me so I could be a participant in the history that he's creating because the history that God is creating is for one ultimate end and for one ultimate purpose, and that's to reveal himself to a broken world so that everyone here from this world has an opportunity to be with him in eternity in that one. And your life and my life is supposed to be a roadside along the way that points people to Jesus that points people to heaven. And every time you put on a mask, you're obscuring and obstructing the signpost that your life is supposed to be that helps people find their way into eternity. Your true identity is going to connect you to God's history, and I don't know about you, but that inspires me. 
about six o'clock. Come on, not bad. All right. That pie might be warm after all. I'm going to invite Vanessa to come up. She's going to give us some closing instructions in just a moment. Let me just share these final thoughts with you. City Life Church is a mask-free zone. You don't have to wear a mask to be accepted here. You don't have to put on a mask to go along to get along here. And if you're not sure if the person that you're trying to be true to yourself is a mask and you don't even know it, then what I would say is be yourself. Be yourself. And trust that the Holy Spirit in an environment like this with loving people who are learned in Scripture are going to be willing to come along beside you and help you go on a journey of asking these questions. Because this is where it comes back around and fits into this series. If you want an explanation of what this series is about, you can get that on the podcast. But let me close with this thought. His workmanship that leads to our identity produces the diversity that creates biblical unity. His workmanship that leads to our identity produces the diversity that creates biblical unity. Pastor Justin preached on it last weekend. I'm going to be talking about it again in two weeks. Biblical unity matters to us because it is a key part of God's plan to reveal himself to the world. Let's be a part of that plan. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight. For every single one of us for that moment tonight when we're by ourselves. And we're changing from this outfit into another. I pray that every person here would find the courage to whisper a question to you. God, do I have any masks? And we know, Holy Spirit, that for some people here, you've been waiting for years to answer that question. For some, you've been waiting for decades to begin to peel back the layers and reveal to the world a hidden masterpiece. that's going to help make the history that causes hundreds, if not thousands of people to find their way out of darkness and into light, to find their way out of eternal death into eternal life, to find their way from this world to the next, to be with you for always and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. amen.